you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. What up, what up? This is your boy Rob Clark welcoming you to the 22 November Network. Get ready for another exciting edition of the Lone Gunman Podcast featuring me. That's right, your boy Rob Clark coming at you. Stay tuned. Be right there. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? This is episode number 47 of the Lone Gunman Podcast. And this week, I have a very special guest for you. His name is Adam Go Rightly. He is a noted author and historian. For all of Adam's works, please visit www.adamgorightly.com. There, you will see... Uh, collection of his works uh, links where you can buy his books check out his stuff and uh, he's also a musician so if you're into like trippy 60 stuff uh, definitely check it out um, I dig it most definitely dig it um, today we're going to be mainly focusing on his newest book uh, called Caught in the Crossfire Carrie Thornley Lee Oswald and the Garrison Investigation Because this is a JFK assassination related podcast So that is what we are going to talk about today But uh, you can't talk about Carrie Thornley Of course without getting into uh, Various other aspects of his life life, Such as the uh, Discordian Association That he founded A kind of faux religion Um, But Adam now People listening listening to this podcast they're, they're, They're familiar with the JFK assassination and I'm sure they've heard the name Carrie Thornley associated with it in some form or fashion. Uh, but if you could just give us a little bit of a background on uh, Carrie Thornley, I guess we'll begin back at the beginning in the in the uh, in the Marine Corps. Let's uh, start a little bit before that. Uh, 
this morning, you know, Whittier, California, in the late 30s, 1938, and his uh, first claim to fame, which might mean, might not mean a lot to us right at this juncture, but uh, it uh, comes to play later in the Garrison investigation. Uh, in 1958, uh, Carrie Thornley and a friend of his, Greg Hill, started a uh, spoof religion called Discordianism. And apparently they had a uh, vision in a bowling alley in Whittier, California, where all of this was revealed to them. So maybe we'll touch on more of that later. But uh, So Thornley uh, entered the Marines in late uh, 1958. And uh, in 19, early 1959, he was uh, stationed at El Toro Marine Base in uh, Southern California, where his, cross, his path uh, crossed with uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Right. Oswald at that time had just re- returned from Atsugi, uh, Japan, and uh, during a three-month period, uh, Thornley got to know uh, Oswald pretty well. They weren't close friends, but he referred to him as a good acquaintance. They had a lot of conversations during this period about politics, philosophy, such and then uh, around Easter of that year is when uh, Thornley got uh, sent over to Atsugi, Japan, where uh, Oswald had previously been stationed working as as a uh, radar technician, which is the same job Thornley performed over there. Now, uh, sometime uh, you know, during the period he was at El Toro, and uh, then he was when he was being shipped across to Atsugi, he started idol warriors. Oh, yeah. And uh, the main character in this book was based upon different uh, Marines Thornley had known, including himself and Oswald. It's kind of a composite character. About, and it was centered around the disillusionment of serving in the Marines during this period, during the Cold War period. Uh, let's hold it there just to uh, get, get a lot of feedback. Anyway, on that uh, trip uh, to uh, Japan, he started working on this book, The Idol Warriors, as I was saying. It was based upon different Marines he had known, including uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and several others. Uh, once he got stationed over at Atsugi, uh, during that period, it's when uh, Oswald was infected. Thornley heard that. He went, oh, man, that's crazy. And at that point... Uh, based the character, as I mentioned before, Johnny Sheldon, he based him primarily on Lee Harvey Oswald. So that's the first oddity, curiosity about Carrie Thornley that he was writing the book based on Oswald three years before the Kennedy assassination. Um, after his service in the Marines, uh, Thornley ended up in uh, New Orleans. He was a buddy writer wanted to experience life. That's one of the reasons he enlisted in the Marines, then moved to New Orleans because he wanted to experience the French Quarter Bohemia period. And uh, at that time, and this, uh, once again, maybe getting a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, this relates to later the Garrison investigation, but during this period, Thornley met a couple of uh, somewhat shadowy characters that went by the name of Slim Brooks and uh, Gary Kirsten. And uh, Thornley, you know, throughout his life, he all kinds of interesting uh, people. 
that I've heard from over the years in the interview. And he had a thirst for knowledge and meeting people and uh, having conversations about you know the same type of stuff he was uh, talking to Oswald about uh, philosophy, politics, different ideologies, religions. Anyway, he met these two somewhat spooky characters who claimed they had associations with uh, the mob and perhaps intelligence agency associations. And at one point, according to Thornley, they got into a theoretical discussion about how to kill the president, and in particular, John F. Kennedy. Thornley later said it was just uh, kind of a morbid intellectual exercise for him, but later those words would uh, come back to haunt him. Sort the creepy organ music there. Yeah, right. Pure, purely theor so, theoretical, right? Yeah. Well, I think they were on uh, Thornley's part. Uh, it, uh, it might have been, as he later theorized, an attempt to, to set him up as a uh, secondary uh, patsy in the assassination, have the Oswald set up gone awry, but uh, we can get a bit more into that. Uh, Let's see, so going chronologically, we were in uh, New Orleans, so the assassination went down, of course we know that date, November 22nd, 63, then three weeks uh, after that, he moved to Arlington, Virginia. Uh, there are several reasons he said he was motivated to make this move. One of them, after JFK's assassination, In fact, the night of the, uh, following the assassination, he made some uh, comments that were a bit uh, off-color, and most people took offense by uh, basically laughing about the assassination. He was uh, very critical of Kennedy uh, during this uh, period, and so he basically, because of doing stuff like him and a friend, Carlos Castillos, went to the uh, Bourbon House restaurant ordered drinks for everybody to toast uh, Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, drill instructor for teaching him to shoot a rifle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of these antics would later, uh, you know, bring Kerry to the attention of uh, Garrison and other investigators. Um, so because of this, he alienated himself with different friends in the French Quarter, and he had a messy breakup with his girlfriend for, for during this period, and he was still working on Idle Warriors at this time, and he got an invite to move to Arlington, Virginia, where a friend of his lived, so he thought, hey, I'll be in closer proximity to the uh, Warren Commission uh, hearings that are going on. Maybe I'll have an opportunity, opportunity to be called before the uh, commission, and this would be good uh, pre-publicity for this book he was working on, The Idle Warriors, you know, that was now, was based on Lee Oswald, so those were some of the reasons, most of the reasons he moved to uh, Arlington, Virginia. He did testify before the uh, Warren Commission there in 1964, and in uh, early 65, he, he hadn't uh, had any success publishing The Idle Warriors, but he whipped together a book called, appropriately enough, Oswald, that in fact had an excerpt from the Idle Warriors in it. And in this book, he basically portrayed Oswald as somebody who'd been affected by communist ideology, and this had inspired him uh, to uh, 
to uh, kill Kennedy because of psychological reasons. Once again, it was kind of things he just whipped it together and uh, pretty slim volume at the time. And uh, so it was published there in uh, 65. Thornley at that time was an adherent of uh, Ayn Rand and objectivism. So that also colored or influenced that uh, book Oswald. That was, so that came out in early 65 or so, shortly after he moved to Los Angeles. And so at that point, uh, Thornley was reflecting what the popular mythology was, or what the press was saying, what came out of the Warren Commission, that Oswald was the uh, lone assassin. At first, when Thornley had heard Oswald was involved, he couldn't believe Oswald could have done it by himself, but then, as he said, Came more convinced of this with uh, popular news slant of the period. Then in '65, he landed in L.A. where he met uh, David Lifton. Oh, I'm sure you know, right? Oh yeah. And Lifton, of course, he was a Warren Commission report critic and was quite critical of Thornley's book. And <laughs> met with Thornley, kind of called him on a lot of stuff. In fact, he went over to Thornley's apartment in L.A. and he brought. All 26 volumes of the Warren Commission report, and I detail all this in my book, threw them out on the floor and went point by point through all the reasons to demonstrate that you know, Oswald had been, couldn't have done it by himself, was set up in the assassination. At that point, Thornley had a 180-degree turn in his thinking and uh, agreed with Lifton that indeed... Uh, must have been a conspiracy behind the assassination that Oswald was set up. In fact, at that point, Thornley became a Warren Commission report uh, critic and uh, actually did some radio interviews during this period to that effect. So, we, uh, that was 65. We skipped forward a couple of years to 67, the summer of love. Uh, Thornley was still in L.A., early part of that period, getting into uh, psychedelics and the sexual revolution and all that cool stuff. <laughs> and uh, that's when the Garrison investigation was launched. And at that point, uh, well, at some point, really early 68, uh, Garrison put out a press release claiming Thornley uh, was part of a cabal that uh, basically uh, set up Oswald before the fact that uh, Thornley was a CIA agent, uh, and other things. Some of it stated in the press release that he was one of, Garrison believed Thornley was one of the notorious Oswald uh, doubles and all of this stuff. Right. So that was 67, you know, that went on Garrison investigation and subsequent grand jury testimonies and the trial of Clay Shaw went, that kept you know, dragging on through 71, you know. Eventually, uh, Shaw was acquitted at that point. The charges, there was no really charges against Thornley at that point, but uh, there was threat of a uh, trial. Thornley, anyway, all of that was uh, dropped and that kind of ended the garrison investigation. And so that was, uh, <laughs> then we fast forward a couple more years. Do we want to, uh, you have any questions at this point? Um, well, yeah, a few. If we can back up a little bit to, um, Atsugi, 
if you could expound a little bit, because I found it pretty fascinating in your book, something I didn't know, that there was somebody else at Atsugi at the same time that Thornley and Oswald was, correct? Yeah, during that period, according to one of V. Howard Hunt's biography, and biographies, and there's like three of them, I can't state the specific one right off the top of my head, but he uh, stated that he was Atsugi during this period where both uh, Thornley and Oswald Thornley and Oswald weren't there at the same time. Thornley was there in 59, and Oswald was there uh, prior to that, I guess. I don't have the exact dates, but 57, 58, that period. So that's right. the period that uh, E. Howard Hunt was there, according to one of his uh, biographies. Atsugi was uh, one of the key military CIA installations uh, during that period overseas. And uh, it's where a lot of, uh, according to an article in Rolling Stone in the early 80s, where a lot of the MK Ultra experimentation went on with uh, troops. And in fact, as I mentioned in the book, that's where the largest storehouse LSD was at that period, you know, that the CIA had brought up from the Sandus Laboratories was stored at Atsugi and also at Manila. Philippines, where Thornley was also stationed. So both Thornley and Oswald were knee-deep into all of this nest of uh, activities going on there at Atsugi. Whether they were uh, victims of uh, the testing, it's not sure. There's, uh, you know, these stories about Oswald had some kind of LSD flashback when he was overseas. There's also the story that uh, in New Orleans he had approached uh, one of the assistant district attorneys about uh, the legality of a drug, LSD. Yeah. Now, that, that was recounted, I believe, in a few places. Jim Mars's uh, Crossfire. Recently, I came across uh, the statement from Guy Edward Ewan, an assistant district attorney. And when he met with Oswald, he said that uh, Oswald didn't notes say that he, Oswald asked about a drug, whether it was uh, legal, and uh, Gillen's statement uh, says nothing about LSD, but it can be assumed in 1963 that he might have been talking about LSD. Right. So anyway, yeah, Oswald and Thornley were both there during the same period as E. Howard Hunt, and of course this is where they based the U-2 uh, spy planes mission out, missions out of, and Thornley and Oswald would both uh, work there in some capacity as associated with the radar technicians, which uh, itself, you know, you need a certain level of security clearance. So that's what was going on with uh, at Atsugi. Right, and it, and it uh, Thornley and E. Howard Hunt. It could uh, possibly, I think you alluded to it, uh, Explain some of his odd behavior over there, like when he was on uh, guard duty, and he kind of freaked out a little bit, and then they, they had the incident where he was he shot himself in the arm, uh, you know, which who knows the real backstory of that, but sure, you know, LSD that's is a hell of a drug, man. <laughs> yeah, that's what some people point to as a flashback thing, I'm, or a bad trip, <laughs> one of the two. Yeah, seeing some, shooting some, at something. Tree that wasn't there shot himself. I've heard 
knew all the specific details, but he had some type of weird psychological thing went down. And once again, yeah, this is the uh, period where they were uh, doping, uh, you know, dosing the troops with LSD. You see some of those old films where they try to march in uh, formation and they all start <laughs> moving in different directions and laughing their heads off. And, and so, yeah, you know, that was the period where the CIA was testing all those different drugs to see if they could be effective in the spy trade. One, one of them was LSD. Well, Oswald must have been passed with flying colors because, <laughs> I mean, you know, assuming that it was some sort of test, um, you know, whether or not he, he could be trusted or broken or, or something like that, you know, it wasn't too long after that, you know, that he was, I believe, sent, sent to Russia, you know, under, in the, as part of the false defection program. Sure. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. That makes sense. And the idea of, um, slipping, you know, somebody, a uh, psychedelic Mickey, especially your own agents, since see how they react under that, you know, drug and questioning and those type of things. And so that's a way of um, uh, letting them know what the effects of LSD are if somebody else slipped it on them and how, you know, how to react right. <laughs> in case that happens. Of course, uh, anybody who's dabbled with uh, psychedelic knows that why uh, you know, trying to one trip on LSD could be way different from another. That's why I don't think the uh, was ever used that much. Uh, you know, there's also the legends of uh, creating Manchurian candidates, and uh, LSD is a you know a good deconditioning tool, but it's not something that you, uh, you can uh, know that that how the effects really. Right, it's not going to have it's not going to have consistent effects. I was just saying, yeah, it's it's not going to have consistent effects even between other people, and just even not on the same person, probably because, like, like you said, I mean, I've I'm I may or may not have uh, dabbled myself back in the day, and yeah, that's uh, you never have two that are the same, you know. Yeah, no, I. I <laughs> All right, so we were where were we here? Um, so yeah, um, you were talking about uh, what's the program you called where that uh, Oswald was uh, working under when he got shipped off to uh, well, Soviet Union back in the day. It was a, officially called Operation Redskin, it's, but it was a false defector program, you know, for the CIA. Which, you know, I don't think he was doing anything extremely crazy over there. You know, I think he his his mission, or if that's what you want to call it, was to basically see if he could get into the country, see if he could stay in the country uh, for a prolonged, extended period of time, and uh, keep his eyes and ears open. You know, maybe write a couple things down, take a couple pictures, you know, and then get the hell out of there, bring back some. Uh, bring back some kind of intel about maybe Russian life behind the Iron Curtain that we didn't really know about too much back then. Um, you know, maybe it was meant to confuse the Russians because 
you know, a lot of those guys were about the same age, kind of looked the same, kind of had the same backgrounds. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell with it when you get into spycraft of the, you know, of the 50s and 60s. You know, it's, it's James Bond shit, you know what I mean, back then. Yeah. And so, yeah, my theory, I mean, it's not my theory. A lot of uh, people gone down this path that uh, Oswald started his training at Atsugi or before that. Uh, who knows, Andy? learning uh, Russian and all this. Then he supposedly gets in trouble there at Atsugi and is uh, shipped back to El Toro. He kind of had this cloud over his head as a uh, screw-up. He got in trouble with the uh, brass, you know. At least that's what he was, uh, the character he was presenting. Right. And you know, a lot of people raised curious eyebrows because Thornley said he talked to discussed uh, Marxism ideology and this t- these type of things. But as he noted, Thornley uh, noted in his Warren Commission testimony, Oswald had come up to him and asked Thornley, what do you think of uh, Marxism or communism? <laughs> so I think what uh, Oswald may have been involved with during that period was uh, doing some internal spying, checking up on the, the other uh, guy in his unit there were being trained to be radar technicians to see if they were a potential security risk. And right. I'm sure Gary Thornley raised a lot of red flags uh, with the brass because <laughs> this is one colorful, crazy character, you know, who liked to discuss everything under the sun, including uh, communism and Marxism, willing to entertain a lot of different uh, theories and ideas. And he was a devout atheist, too, so that was a really popular statement right yeah i could definitely see the, the way the way oswald was acting back then he would have definitely been a, a nut magnet you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah you know he would have generated interest in you know even his fellow marines but especially somebody like carrie thornley who was way off the beaten path uh you know even earlier than most back then So let's uh let's get back in a little bit here and uh talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about Slim Brooks and uh this fellow Gary Kirstein. Okay, so we went through the uh, garrison investigation period and you know, I kinda ended in nineteen seventy or so, but uh the next couple of years uh Thornley well one key incident he points to, he was uh, in New York uh, with a friend of his, Greg Hill, the same guy who came up with that spoof religion, uh, Discordianism. This was uh, 1973 or so, when he came, uh, he was at this uh, outdoor concert somewhere, and uh, came across a copy of the Yipsker Times, you know, newsletter the Yippies put out, and in that was one of the early uh, versions of uh, Coup d'etat in America by uh, Weberman Canfield, an article. Oh, yeah. It was later expanded into a book, and it showed those uh, photos of the three tramps and compared them to uh, you know, the old man tramp, the Howard Hunt, which you probably will aware of that anyway. But, uh, 
clearly saw that picture of Hunt. That was the first time he'd seen a photo of Eight Hour Hunt. They really this you know, the first time he saw photos of Hunt. You know, as the Watergate hearings were starting, he normally saw that photo. Man, that looks a hell of a lot like the uh, Kirsten guy, aka brother-in-law, I was talking to back in New Orleans a decade earlier. And at that point, normally uh, all the kind of released all these memories that have been stored up all these years, repressed, repressed memories, perhaps, that, uh, you know, started informing him, making him realize that uh, he might have been part of a JFK assassination conspiracy, and that he was used, perhaps, in the same manner that Oswald was used, by having, you know, first these discussions with uh, Kirsten and uh, Blitz. Brooks, he later uh, suspected, was uh, Jerry Milton Brooks, who was also involved with uh, the Garrison investigation. Brooks uh, uh, provided different information. Apparently, Brooks, Jerry Milton Brooks, who's a former Minuteman, he was uh, uh, working with Bannister. He's one of Bannister's investigators, according to Brooks. And actually, Brooks. I just uh, realized this recently. I didn't write it in the Crossfire book, but I just came across this recently that uh, Brooks was really the first one to provide the information about the Newman building, you know, the uh, Camp Street address, right. where uh, Bannister was based out of. And uh, Brooks passed that information on to uh, William Turner, the FBI guy who was also part of the investigation. So, and other people have stated as well that it makes sense that the guy uh, normally was meeting with Slim Brooks uh, certainly uh, appeared to uh, how Thorny described him was very similar to Jerry Milton Brooks and uh, a lot of uh, Brooks's, Slim Brooks's past history seemed to match up with the Jerry Milton Brooks and they were both in New Orleans during that uh, same period so it's probably one and the same. Brooks also had a brother, too, so it gets uh, totally uh, not confirmed, but uh, it seems to make sense that that was the guy Thornley was speaking with. And a lot of people later said Thornley just confabulated all this stuff or made it up, but I've talked to other people who were there during that period, and they had memories of Slim Brooks as well, so it wasn't somebody Thornley made up. And so, uh, later, you know, these memories started uh, emerging at that period, and Thornley began to suspect that, yeah, maybe Garrison was on to something. Originally, Garrison, or Kerry thought that uh, Garrison was just barking up a tree with all his accusations, but then he started having these memories of meetings he had had, which were more like brief kind of chance encounters, brief meetings with the likes of Clay Shaw, David Ferry, <laughs> Guy Bannister, and this picture started emerging that uh, maybe there was a design behind all of this, and once again, you know, that led him to his uh, speculation, theories, suspicions that he was 
being manipulated during that period in the same manner that uh, Oswald presumably was being manipulated. Right now, you you also pointed something out in the book that <clears throat> that I didn't know. Um, Harold, well, I guess during the Garrison investigation, they were trying to paint Thornley as an Oswald double, and Harold Weisberg, who's you know pretty much respected uh, Warren Commission critic and, and uh, researcher, kind of was doing something a little bit underhanded there uh, when it comes to trying to tie Court Thornley in with the, uh, you know, being an Oswald double. Can you tell us a little bit about his uh, letter to Fred Newcomb? Why do you say underhanded? <laughs> well, if it's I'm not, just, if it's not let true. Me back, let me throw this back on you, Rob. Okay. You've seen, you've seen the information. You know, what, what's your thoughts about it? Well, it just seemed to me that it, it looks to me like a, I don't, almost almost a desperate act on Weisberg's part to to generate something, um, you know, because that that picture that they were using, you know, they were flipping it, and he had asked the, he had asked Fred Newcomb to, you know, doctor the photo to make it look a little bit more like Oswald. And to me, that's just, that's just really disingenuous, yeah. you know, when it comes to. Yeah, and it calls into question, you know, you'll see if you go through the garrison investigation uh, materials, and a lot of that stuff is online now, you know, National Archives, Search Engines, and uh, Weisberg's uh, archives, and Mary Farrell, and all that stuff, I'm sure you're familiar with, and so, you know, there's a lot of those memos from Garrison's different investigators where they're going out and uh, showing photos from around, and a lot of times there's, you know, some of it looks like they, they, you know, witnesses a couple here and there, well, maybe it could have been that photo of Thornley, the guy, nothing's ever clear, but what photo were they showing? I I suspect they were using that touched up uh, photo. And um, I did a search uh, recently. Uh, one of those uh, engine archives, uh, engines I was talking about, web engines, and it came up with a bunch of the uh, suspect photos that uh, Garrison was uh, using in his case, and one of those was indeed that touched-up uh, photo by uh, one that uh, Fred Newcomb came up with. And uh, Newcomb, he was actually quite embarrassed and pissed off by uh, Weisberg, and I shared some of those letters uh, recently in this, uh, on my uh, Story of Discordia website. But uh, New- Newcomb did, wasn't aware that they are going to be used as part of the investigation. And, uh, that kind of put a, created a rift between uh, he and Harold Weisberg. But uh, let's back up a little. But I think, you know, Weisberg, from what I can tell, is really the one who came up with the case against Kerry uh, Thornley that, uh, you know, he later passed on to uh, Jim Garrison, and Jim Garrison made it his own. But Jim Garrison, I believe, came up with a lot of this stuff that he takes credit for it in his book, On the Trail of the Assassins. 
it was really uh, Weisberg who first came up with the theory that Oswald's book, uh, uh, Dolly's book, Oswald, was there to uh, set up uh, Oswald as well as his GMK assassination or his uh, Warren Commission testimony. These were all part of a sinister plot to set up uh, Oswald before the fact. So uh, Weisberg was the first one to kind of latch on to that. Then they started looking at the movements of uh, Thornley, and they could place him maybe around the time where that photo was taken with Oswald, and some people would say it was fake. And also... He went through Mexico City kind of during the same period that Oswald or somebody uh, claiming to be Oswald showed up at the Russian Cuban embassy. So, uh, you know, they started playing around with the theory that maybe he formerly was one of the Oswald uh, doubles. And that kind of led to uh, Weisberg hatching that caper of uh, that touched up photo thing under the auspices of the uh, garrison investigation. When he got called on it, Weisberg said, no, no, Garrison had partnered with this, although Weisberg was using Garrison as a stationary. Yeah. So, once again, a lot of sketchy activities, and uh, it calls into question really any Garrison's evidence against Thornley. There's a, there's a lot of it out there on the web and different articles and books by different uh, People and I could go through uh, all of their points and accusations and uh, addresses. I don't want to do it here because <laughs> there's a lot of those. But uh, I mean, there's an argument on either side of this. One thing I don't—I uh, never have claimed to have complete certitude whether uh, formally was uh, of formally's guilt or innocence, or whether he was a winning participant or unwitting pawn in the assassination, but I have my suspicions, you know, basically what I was doing with that book was uh, providing some equal time for Kerry uh, Thornley's side of the story and trying to look at it, look at the thing, you know, here's the case from a different uh, perspective, so, because there's so many books out there that basically repeat, uh, you know, the... Uh, Gospel according to Garrison's fact. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, a lot of times it's just theories that, from what I've seen, at least relating to Thornley, haven't been backed up by any real evidence. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it either. Um, but what's good about your book is you have a lot of it straight from the horse's mouth from Carrie's writings, uh, you know, throughout the years, you know spanning his almost his entire life, really. Yeah. One thing that needs to be noted, uh, in Garrison, you know, he wrote on the trail of the assassins, and he brought out all these things about how Kerry uh, met with uh, Clay Shaw and Dave, David Ferry and Guy Bannister, but we need to remember that uh, Kerry remembered all of this stuff started remembering these meetings in 73, 74. And uh, during this period, as you get into 75, 76, uh, he really went into a down, 
spiral psychological problems and was diagnosed even by a close friend of his, a psychologist, Dr. Robert Newport, as a paranoid schizophrenic. And so I think, you know, some some of these things, maybe he didn't meet with um, those guys as he recalled, but it could also be attributed to confabulation, you know. And so some people will point to, well, Thornley, you know, he lied to Garrison about, about you know, that he hadn't met with Ferry or Shaw or Bannister and these guys, but, uh, you know, will point to dishonesty on Kerry's part, but it could be a number of I don't think he was being dishonest. I think he either confabulated it or he had repressed memory. Maybe his mind was tampered with all the MK Ultra, which is definitely uh, possible. So to immediately brand uh, Thornley a liar is an easy way out. You know, we need to dig a little bit deeper and, uh, into this thing. I mean, so a lot of the, well, there wasn't really many witnesses against uh, Thornley and the ones that you know, they could also point at them as having psychological problems. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> so it's a, it's a maze, you know. I just, I think I'm not here. I don't, uh, as far as uh, solving the JFK assassination or anything like that, that wasn't my uh, mission in writing this book. It was more like a, from the sociological and cultural thing of looking at that garrison investigation period and how uh, Thornley got entangled with it all, all the craziness going on with it. Oh, most definitely. You know, Garrison was, you know, he was, he was digging really hard down there and, you know, part of his theory incorporated that, you know, it might have been some kind of homosexual thrill kill, you know, just from all these guys that are involved in it, you know, they're all homosexuals, there's allegations of of Oswald being a homosexual, you know, and on down the line, and, you know, it's hard to say, but, uh... Well, there's allegations of, uh, being a homosexual, too, and being tied in with all that, that bunch, but then, you know, this is, once again, stuff that's quoted as uh, gospel, because it came from the, one of the Garrison's witness, uh, the Reverend Raymond Brochures. Oh, yeah. But, uh... It appears that he was making all that stuff up, that he was never <laughs> in New Orleans at all, that he didn't know Ferry, you know, people to say that, and Ferry's roommate said this and that, but uh, none of other Ferry's roommates during that period knew who brochures was. He showed up on the scene in 68, he's one of those guys, like other witnesses, they'd ask him about Kerry Thornley or David Ferry or down the line, he said, oh yeah, I knew him, and, you know. No doubt he was getting his um, information like a lot of people were from the newspapers or whatever, just concocting or confabulating. How maybe he believed half the things I said, but I can't put any, uh, you know, faith and belief in anything that uh, Raymond Brochure said. So you know, a lot of this stuff he just got tossed out. Uh, but then you know, allegations like that. They just muddy the waters of Garrison's investigation, certainly in terms of uh, Carrie Thornley, same thing with that touched-up photo thing. It just uh, basically, in a way, discredits everything, you know, we 
did in their investigation, at least uh, as far as Carrie Thornley goes. Exactly. And, you know, Thornley, uh, deservedly so, he put himself in a corner with some of the comments he made, you know. Oh, yeah. Over the years, people, you know, comment where he said he would have shot JFK if he would have had the chance. And yeah. Was actually, <laughs> That'll do it. You know, I, Fair, but he was basically quoting himself as a what he was 23 or 24 year old crazy uh, kid who uh, during a conversation at the Bourbon House he said you know he, he was trying to get riled people riled up <laughs> he was a critic of uh, Kennedy and started making all these comments after the uh, Kennedy assassination I recently came across I found these on the web as well I didn't include this material in the book, you can find his actual uh, FBI interview that happened, uh, well, it started the evening of the assassination, a couple of days afterwards, both the FBI and the Secret Service interviewed Thornley, and they interviewed another guy named Shambrowski, hmm. and Shambrowski's the one who said, said that uh, Carrie told him at the Urban House would have had a rifle, he would have uh, shot Kennedy. So that's how all of that kind of started. But, you know, at the time, the FBI, the Secret Service, you know, they didn't have any, uh, they interviewed uh, Thornley, and he was never a suspect in the case. Right. They were, they were, they were pretty thorough back then. And he did have those slender hips, Adam. You know, they're, they're slender hips. say that, uh, well, you know, the FBI, Secret Service, they're all involved in the uh, assassination, and Thornley was part of it, so of course he, he wasn't a suspect in the case, but, you know, you can't really argue with those kind of, uh, that kind of logic. Exactly. Once again, maybe there is something to it all, but I suspect not. Exactly. Well, I think we are, we are just about out of time here on this segment, Adam. Um, Adam's going to stick around and join me for another one. We're going to try to nail some things down a little more specifically and according to time frames uh, within uh, New Orleans before the assassination. Uh, so everybody come back next week, and uh, we'll have part two for you. And Adam, thanks for joining me. Hang on the line for me, buddy. And we are out. Once again, everyone, head over to www.adamgorightly.com. His last name is spelled G-O-R-I-G-H-T-L-Y. Adamgorightly.com. To check out what he's doing, check out all of his writings, and uh, check out all of his books, his music. Uh, Go give him uh, some support and some love from the Lone Gummin Podcast for coming on. And once again, thank you to Adam. Make sure you guys come back next week. We're going to have part two uh, of Adam Go Rightly. And thank you for joining me this week. Head over to 22NovemberNetwork.wordpress.com for all of your assassination, observation, and conversation. Uh, Doug's on a little hiatus now, so there will be no more Dallas action for a while until he gets his head together. But 
I'll still be here. The website will still be here. Uh, all the bloggers will still be here. So please head over there. Show us some love, people. This some bitch is in a can of the satellite beam down directly to your ears, people. Peace. right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.